You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. This afternoon, I invite you to turn with me for our scripture reading to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, as you will notice, the, the portion we read together is the beginning of our Lord's Sermon on the Mount. We read together the first 16 verses. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Well, of Matthew chapter 5, the text for this afternoon are verses 13 through 16. A beloved in Christ the Lord, who of us likes to be different? Who of us likes to stand out? I suppose in a sense that kind of depends, doesn't it? Depends on whether or not, well, if it makes, if being different, if standing out makes you popular, if it makes you envied by many others, then you might say, yeah, sure. Count me in. I'd like to be different. But on the other hand, if being different meant more like uh, you were some sort of odd one, kind of weird. One who didn't seem to belong was out of place. You might say, no way. I don't want to be different. I don't want to stand out. But Christians, God says, are different from the world. And brothers and sisters, it's in the odd, out of place sort of way. We have a relationship with the world. Christians have a relationship with the world. We are in the world. We live in this world. But we are not to be of this world. We are not to adopt the ways and the practices, the beliefs, uh, and many other things of the world. But again, being in the world, we, we cannot escape the world. And we're not to try to escape the world. But that relationship that believers have with the world has a particular character because of the relationship that we have with, with God through Jesus Christ. Believers are the salt of the earth. Believers are the light of the world. This text, beloved, is Christ's call 
to active service. And this active service involves, first of all, a personal fact. Again, Jesus says, you are. Not you are like, not you will become, but you are salt. You are light. And He's talking to the church. He's talking to believers. This is true of each believer individually. This is a personal fact for all those who profess to belong to Jesus Christ. Again, as we said a moment ago, we are set apart. We are not of this world. Peter makes that clear in 1 Peter 2, verse 9 when he says, "...but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light." You see, God makes a distinction. He makes a separation between those who are His and those who are not His. And He sets His apart as different. And it is to be our delight to be identified with God as different from the world. But again, at the same time, believers are set within this world. We, we, we live this life. We rub shoulders and elbows with the world. We participate in many common activities with the people of the world. We enjoy many of the same things that the people of the world enjoy. Things that are just fine. But as we do live, as we are set as believers within the world, we have, we are to have a particular influence. Christians are not to simply blend in with the world and look no different from the world so that one can't tell the difference. But Christians are to be seen. Christians are to be visible. We are to have an impact. Our presence is to be unmistakable, like the presence of salt, like the presence of light. In the Old Testament, Israel as a nation was set apart by God, chosen and set apart from all of the other nations of the world, set apart to be different, but also set apart to be seen. Israel was to be a showcase to the nations for God of His electing love, of His mercy, His grace, His peace. God's people have always been called to active service in this world. It's a lifetime calling, whether you're young or old, whether you're new to the faith or whether you're mature in the faith. And this is a personal fact for each one of us as believers. We are salt. We are light. But this active service in the second place has a powerful function. Now, I need to say, first of all, that it's not a compliment. If you, if you think about it, it's, it's not a compliment to be called salt and light. All by themselves, salt and light are not much. It's not a compliment to be called salt or to be called light. Salt looks insignificant. It's inexpensive. It has little value. Yet, salt has powerful properties. Light has powerful properties also, but it's only useful if one is able to benefit from the light that it gives. These two things, salt and light in a particular way, are only good if they are serviceable, if they are able to service their surroundings. And then these same two things have the potential ability to affect, to, to transform their environments. Salt has a powerful function. We know that salt has a number of uses. One of them is that it's used as a preservative. This was probably the most common use in the day of Jesus. It was used to preserve the shelf life, we might say, of food, especially meat, to keep it from spoiling. 
And because of sin, the world rots and deteriorates and Christians are to be a preservative. Not to preserve the wickedness of the world, you see, but to be used by God, if it is His will, to preserve the world from, we might say, becoming more rotten and more deteriorated. But in Scripture, we see that salt also has, has a hygienic, it has a cleansing property. In Ezekiel 16, verse 4, that verse hints at the Jewish practice of rubbing newborn babies with salt because it was understood that if, if hygiene was ignored at the very beginning of life, then the potential result was sickness and possibly even death. And we know that apart from the cleansing and purifying power of the Holy Spirit, there's only spiritual sickness and death. Another property of salt, which may take you by surprise, it has to do with infertility. Not the way we think of infertility, but salt causing infertility. In Judges 9, verse 45, after Abimelech defeated and destroyed the city of Shechem, it says he scattered salt over it. And that that symbolized making the ground infertile for the future and possibly made it actual that that ground would be infertile for the future, that it wouldn't grow anything. Now these uses of salt as a preservative um, for hygiene and for infertility point to, to keeping something from, from getting worse. And the truth is, beloved, God uses Christians to influence this world while He grows His church to keep this world from becoming totally spoiled and rotten. I'm not talking about total depravity here. Every single person is totally depraved. But the point is, as long as this world remains with true believers in it, there, in a sense, it will never be totally rotten and spoiled. But as well, God uses His people sometimes to restrain sin and evil in others so that that sin and evil doesn't grow. Some of you will know what I'm talking about. Your presence and my presence, if we're open about our faith, if those we come in contact with know that we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if we are open about our faith, our presence may be used by God to make our surroundings less fertile soil for ungodly activity for some of our acquaintances. For example, God may be pleased to, to, to use you and me if we are open about our faith. He may be pleased to use us to restrain filthy language in others if they know that you're a Christian. God may use them, use you and me to restrain uh, others from telling a rotten jokes, jokes that shouldn't be told. Young people, if you're in a group of people, some who may or may not believe as you do, God may use you, if you're open about your faith, to restrain your group from seeing certain movies that maybe you, should, you have no business seeing. God may be pleased to use us to restrain some in their work habits, some who might be tempted to, to cut corners and do what they shouldn't do in the workplace, but because they observe you and me as salt, hopefully, as light, striving to do our best for the glory of God, it might restrain them from from doing less than they ought to be doing. God may use us to restrain some from taking His name in vain. He may use us to restrain inappropriate conversations about sex or, or conversations to the opposite sex that have no place in our lives. And we could add many other things to this. But there's another important use of salt that I haven't mentioned it yet. And I believe that, that the believer's effectiveness as, as salt as a preservative and to restrain evil is a result of the positive use of salt for flavoring, for seasoning. 
And I believe that seems to be the main goal as Jesus points to the effect that this is to have on men, that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Salt brings out the flavor in food. We all know that. There are certain foods that any one of us would not eat if it didn't include salt. We have a gentleman in our congregation right now who, because of severe heart problems right now, salt's been stricken from his diet. He tells me there's food doesn't taste good anymore. It just doesn't taste good anymore. Salt brings out the flavor in food. Christians, believers, are called to season, to flavor the surroundings, to make it taste better, if you will. And therefore, that includes, beloved, that, that believers are not to be depressing, negative, hopeless, joyless, angry, judgmental people in the world. We live in the world among people of the world, but we do so as those who are still very much in the presence of Jesus Christ. And as we strive to do everything we do to the glory of God, how can that not be joyful? And therefore, as we are called to flavor, to season our surroundings, everything about us, our actions, our words, our lifestyles, our work habits, everything, it is all to express and to demonstrate the attractiveness and the holiness of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul points out in a specifically, a specific way, uh, to our speech, something that we all need to keep in mind. In Colossians 4 verse 6, he says, our speech is to be seasoned with salt. In other words, it should be good tasting to us as we speak it, and it should be good tasting to those who hear it. He explains what he means in Ephesians 4 verse 29 when he says, do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. People of God, as salt, we are to be serviceable. We are to be serviceable to our surroundings, to our societies, to our co-workers, simply to those who see and observe us on any given day. We are to be examples of faithfulness and honesty, of integrity, of trustworthiness. But our Lord also issues a warning here, if you noticed, in verse 13, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by man. Now, in the, the original language, it says literally, but if the salt becomes foolish. Well, boys and girls, we know that salt doesn't become foolish, at least in the way that we think of foolishness. But Jesus isn't talking about real salt. He's talking about men. In Psalms 14, verse 1 and 53, verse 1, the psalmist begins in both places, the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. And Paul says in Romans 1, verse 18, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And then he goes on in verse 22, professing to be wise, they became fools. One who does not follow God's commands, one who forsakes God is foolish. If you cease to be different, you cease to be a Christian. An unsalty salt, notice what Jesus says, we live in a day of recycling, but unsalty salt doesn't even have any recycle value. It can't even be used as fertilizer. It's useless. An inactive Christian, which is no Christian at all, is just as useless as the world and has no future in the kingdom of heaven. 
Light also has a powerful function, but again, it's also only, it's, it's useful only in its serviceability to its surroundings. And that makes sense to us, doesn't it? Light must be seen. It must illumine. It must show the way. It must provide relief from the darkness. Without light, we become lost. Without light, you can't see potentially dangerous objects that might be in your path. But light exposes the darkness. It shows what's hiding in the darkness and it removes the fear of the darkness. Boys and girls, maybe you have a night light in your bedroom or in the hallway outside your bedroom. A night light is a real help in the middle of the night if you wake up and it's, it's dark and you can't see anything. You know you're in your own home, but you can't see anything so you can't be sure. But if you have a night light that gives just a little bit of light, you see things that you recognize and it drives away the fear that, that the darkness can bring. Light allows man to function, to work, to recreate. We do, we do our activities in the light as opposed to the wicked of whom Scripture says they desire to do their evil deeds in the dark. And believers, as light, as the light of the world must shine for Jesus, and the light we give is the light of Jesus Himself. And that means that we are called to demonstrate the true knowledge of God. We are called to demonstrate the truth of Jesus Christ in a saving work. We are called to demonstrate the joy of owning salvation in Him. We are called to demonstrate Christ's love and compassion and mercy and patience. We are called, people of God, to show Christ and to show the path to Him. And yes, this is a high calling. But it's only possible by being one with, by belonging to, by being united to Jesus Christ who is the light of the world. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows Me shall not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. And in Psalm 36, verse 9, we read, For with you is the fountain of life. In your light we see light. Jesus gives us His light. And He makes you and me transmitters of His light. It's His light. Not yours, not mine, but His light. Boys and girls, think of an object that glows in the dark. When I was a boy, we used to have, now they call them bouncy balls. We called them super balls. They bounced real high and a number of times. Some would glow in the dark. We'd hold them by a light bulb before we'd go to bed at night. Hold them right next to that warm light bulb. And when that light bulb is shut off, that, that bulb glows. It absorbed the light of the light bulb and then it, it shows forth that very same light. The result of being united with Christ the light is that believers are light in the Lord and we are called to live as children of light and to have nothing to do with the deeds of darkness which only dims that light. Instead, we are called to expose the deeds of darkness by the light that our lives shine on a dark world. And Jesus makes it clear that, that bearers of the light of Jesus can't help but to be seen. He uses two examples in here. A city on a hill and a lamp, either with a bowl or a stand. Well, first of all, that city, a city that's built high on a hill, you can't hide that city. It's there as big as life for everyone to see. He may have been talking about Jerusalem, which was built on a hill. You can't pass by a city on a hill without noticing it. Even in our day, in the nighttime, 
You can tell which direction a city is because of the glow, the glow of the lights. But the simple meaning is this, is that no true disciple of Christ can remain unnoticed in the world. Listen to that again. No true disciple of Christ can remain unnoticed in the world. He will be seen. And then Jesus points to a lamp. He says, neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. You do not put a bowl over a lamp to cover the light, but you put it up so that everybody in the house, everybody in the room can benefit from its light. These lights would do no good if they were on the floor. We need them up above us so everybody in this room can benefit from the light that they give. And again, the simple meaning is that it is unthinkable, Jesus is saying, that a disciple of Christ would purposely cover or hide the light that they possess. To cover a lamp is to take away its purpose. It's to take away its usefulness. Believers are not to suppress their light, but let it shine till Jesus comes. We know the world is living in the darkness of sin and shame. Facing eternal consequences. And those who enjoy God's grace, those who have been blessed with the light of the truth of Jesus Christ are called to make that truth visible, make it clear so that others may see the love and the grace of God in action. We are to be used of God, beloved, to reveal the darkness and sin of the world. Not so that we might shake our finger at them and say, shame on you, but so that God might then use us if it is His will to show the way to Jesus Christ. But in order to be active and effective salt and light, we must ourselves be continually empowered. In order to be salty salt, we need to be seasoned with the truth of the Word of God. And we're talking about an ongoing flow of seasoning here. And just like something that glows in the dark must absorb light, From the original source, we need the constant contact of the light of the world. People of God, we are seasoned. We are energized by the Holy Spirit of God Himself who lives in our hearts through the true preaching of the Word of God, through Bible reading and Bible study, through prayer, through through contact with other believers. And these are to be ongoing activities for you and me. And these activities, as they are witnessed then in the world, these activities themselves are a part of our seasoning and light that we give to the world. And then empowered as salt and light, our desire is to be to be used of God so that the world begins to taste and see that the Lord is good. Jesus says what the result will be as He speaks of, in the third place, its productive fruit. Verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Peter says something similar after talking about being a chosen people and a royal priesthood. In verse 12, he says, Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day He visits us. Now, we know that in our households, you would never really find a use for salt and light together. What can you think of that you can use salt and light together at? Nothing, probably. I can't think of anything. But the believer as salt and light, the salt and light works together. 
As light, we are to reveal the truth of Jesus Christ. And as salt, we are to flavor the world by demonstrating that we own that truth, that we belong to Jesus. As light, the the, the world is to see that we are different. As salt, the world is to experience that we are different. And the goal of our active service is that there be a response from mankind. But not the kind of response that says, well, if that's what it means to be a Christian, I don't want any part of it. That's not the kind of response we're going for. But the response that praises our Father in heaven. We are called to do good deeds. We know that we were created to do good works. Works that flow forth from faith. The works of the Beatitudes. The works of the Beatitudes. As well, having a gentle spirit, being compassionate and truthful. People of God, when when mankind, when the world looks at us, they are to see those who know their sin and misery and who are humbled because of their sin and confess their sin and repent of their sin. When the world looks at us, they are to see those who know the true source of life and live to please that source. As the world looks at us, they are to see those who do not take delight in sin, but instead take delight in pleasing God. As they look at us, they are to see those whose good works expose the works of sin. As they look at you and me, beloved, they are to see those who actually practice what they preach. As the world of wicked men look at us, they are to see those who are not afraid of being different for Jesus' sake. And there's a specific aim, as Jesus says, to direct others toward God the Father. And if it is His will, that they too might be delivered from darkness. Notice, our good works are to be seen, but not the worker. The attention isn't to go to you and me, but all the attention and glory is to go to our God. Jesus says in Matthew 6, the first four verses, be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. As the world looks at you and me, may it be their desire to have this relationship with God. May they become thirsty as they see the truth of God's mercy and His saving grace. Again, what a high calling. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. A high calling. But notice something that I think we we sometimes tend to forget. God doesn't command us to change the hearts of others and to bring them effectively to salvation. We can't do that. That's not our business. If it pleases Him, He may use us as salt and light to bring others to Himself. But He doesn't command us to change hearts. He calls us to be, to be what He he recreated us to be. In Christ Jesus, we are new creations. And through regeneration, the Holy Spirit makes us salt and light. And He calls us to be active and serviceable for Him. 
He calls us to represent Him in His saving grace and to do that right where we are at. You don't have to go halfway around the world to do this. If God calls you to that, yes. But otherwise, you don't have to go halfway around the world. You are to do this right where you are at. Parents, you are light to your children as you raise them in a Christian home with your example. You are light, beloved, to your friends and to your to your neighbors and to your co-workers as you season them with your Christian life, your Christian witness, your Christian influence, your Christian faith. You see, the saddest thing that could ever happen is for the world one day to say of you and me that as a Christian, as Christians, we didn't make any difference. That we were no different than the world. There's no greater privilege than to represent the Lord Jesus Christ and to influence the world for Him. But the hard truth is that if if you are not influencing the world for Christ, there's only one other alternative, and that is that you are influencing the world against Christ. And remember, damaged, unsalty salt is only good for being destroyed. And if that describes you today, turn to Him. Because in His grace, He will make you salt and light. He will make you serviceable for Him. Those who belong to Jesus the light by true faith can't help but to be seen. And those in whom the Holy Spirit lives and works can't help but to be salty. May it be our desire that we influence the world as salt and that many become thirsty because that's what salt does. It makes people thirsty and that in and through us they see the light of Jesus Christ and ask us why we are different. Did you hear what I just said? That they ask us why we are different. And I say that with trembling knees because I don't like to be asked why I'm different makes me terribly uncomfortable. But may that be true of each one of us, that we be pleased that the world ask us why we don't go see certain movies. That they ask us why we attend church on Sunday, even twice, this day of recreation. No. This day of resurrection. May, may we be pleased that they ask us why we give of our time at times to go down to places like Mexico and, and serve do mission projects and serve in missions. And even we pay for it. We pay to go. And we get nothing in return. These people can do nothing for us. May we be pleased, beloved, that they ask us why we don't curse, why we don't swear, why we don't engage in in premarital or extramarital sex. May we be pleased that they ask us in the office or on the job site why we don't take advantage of our employer or our employees. But instead, why we do go the extra mile. May it be a delight for us that they ask us, beloved, why when we mourn because of death, how we can still say, my God, how great Thou art. That we might have the opportunity to explain that we do not mourn as those who have no hope, but we have the greatest hope. May it be a delight for us to to have the opportunity to to answer them when they say, well, how in the world can you face a bankruptcy with confidence? You say, yes, but my God provides me my daily bread. And this is an important point too, beloved. We do go through difficult times. We go through times of sadness, of sickness, death, hardship, trials, you name it. We face it, don't we? 
We do find ourselves in the valleys at times, and it's even in those valleys we must not forget that we are still salt. We are still light. And as someone said to me last week, it's in those valleys that we are the most effective as salt and light. May we be pleased, beloved, that they ask us. But of course, that presupposes that we understand what we have in Christ Jesus, right? And that we understand that what we have is worth sharing. And beloved, may God by His Spirit prepare us to be ready to give a reason to anyone who does ask us. May we be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. Remember, brothers and sisters, a little salt goes a long ways. And even a tiny light can be seen from such a great distance. May the light of Jesus Christ shine through you, not so that you may be noticed, but that men may praise your Father in heaven. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.